Hey, 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 Kaiafa, how we doing? Oh, man, no, we got to do better than that. How we doing? Yeah, that's what I like to hear. Man, it is so good to see you guys. You all look beautiful this after, not afternoon, evening. There it is. Wow, it's so good to be back. And if you are here for the first time, welcome. Like, seriously, we're so, so glad that you guys are here and I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas break. I know I did. I, there's just something about the holidays that I love. Christmas, I don't know what your favorite holiday is. Christmas is mine, like by far. The food, the lights, the Christmas trees. I mean, the family, all of it. Everything about Christmas mm, is my favorite thing. But there's this one point during the holidays <laughs> I just have a love-hate relation for whenever, you know, you go to a family gathering, and it's uh, reminiscing on childhood memories. It's like a love-hate relationship. Anybody with me? Yeah. Yep, yeah, okay. So um, it always starts out so pure, right? You know, like we talk about growing up in our, you know, the family yard, and we hung out with the neighbors. We talk about, you know, you know, like uh, hanging out like with our elementary school friends and, you know, how I got this one scar. You know, it's so pure. Um, but then in my family, it somehow always uh, centers on my infamous soccer career. So you want to put that picture up? Um, that's little old Caitlin right there on the end. Um, I played soccer for probably around three years maybe. And I don't know if you could look, just look at my foot, the way that it like curves. If you saw the full picture, no one else's foot is like that, y'all. Like... Uh, I know that, like, 10-year-old Caitlin would disagree, but I sucked at soccer. Like, I was the worst on every single team I was on. It was, uh, it was pretty sad, but what I lacked in skill, I made up for heart and team spirit. I was so hyped to be a part of the team, you know? But, uh, you know, I also did think I was the bee's knee because my first year of soccer, I was the only girl on an all-guys team. Right? Isn't that awesome? Right? Thank you. Um, that was only because uh, they didn't want me on the girls' team. Because <laughs> I sucked. It's fine. And uh, if you want to go to the next picture, I don't know if you can see that on my forearm. There's, a, there's my one uh, solo picture. And I have something on my forearm. That was a tiger tattoo. You know those ones that you get, you put the quarters in, and you put, like, the water on it? Yeah, like one of those, like, fierce tiger tattoos. Ten-year-old Caitlin thought she was the bee's knees. Like, I thought I was the best soccer player in the world. Um, but even though I warmed the bench more than I played, I still thoroughly enjoyed spending time with my teammates, hanging out with them. And uh, the playing part, though, was not my strong suit at all. I can clearly, like clear as day, remember my dad yelling at me on the sidelines. Nicole's shaking her head because she knows this. She's been through every game. I'm like, my dad's on the sideline. He goes, Caitlin, you need to run. And low-key, like this was me. I'm like, Dad, stop. I am running. Low-key walking. It was so, it was, it was not. I genuinely thought, though, that I was the best soccer player in the world. But my words definitely did not line up with my actions. It was funny, though, during one game, uh, it was in my usual position, um, the bench, and my coach, yeah, my coach called my name, and I thought it, I was so hyped for it. It was my turn, okay? I trained for this moment. I went to every practice, and this was my, this was my moment. So I confidently strolled on to the field, and there was nothing really exciting about the game, just a normal soccer game, but then I see it. 
I see the ball. And I don't know whether it was the rest I received when I was on the bench or just like a touch from God or something, but I kicked the ball. I kicked it. Okay, and uh, no lie, this is how the ball went. Nicole can, like, Nicole can attest to it. The ball literally went, do, 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 and I scored. I got a goal, and that was the highlight of my soccer career. Not just because it was my only highlight of my career, but I was so hype about that. The goal definitely boosted my confidence and my soccer abilities, um, but it did not improve the fact that my words just did not line up with my actions. I said I was the best. I was not. It was very pitiful. And uh, maybe you can relate to not being good at soccer, or I'm just alone in this, and I was a very uncoordinated child, but my actions did not line up with what I said. And maybe you're here too, and you can relate to that. Maybe not on a sports level, um, but we've all been here, right? Like we, ha we say we have good intentions to study for a test, and then it never happens, right? Mm -hmm. Or you make resolutions every year. I'm gonna like eat salads. I said that I, I ate like five salads this year and I was done with that. <laughs> But they never happen, you know? Or maybe we've been on the other side of it where someone else is not following through uh, with their words. But we're human, right? We're human. We fail and we mess up. We do things that don't line up with our actions and what, with, what we, with what we say. Anyone relate, right? It's like that saying, do as I say, not what as I do. And in the Bible, we're going through this series on I am statements of Jesus, and each statement is found in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John covers the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I love what John's Gospel shows us about Jesus' character, right? Because Jesus' words always line up with his actions. If he used that saying, Jesus would say, do as I say and what I do. You know, if Jesus said he was a good soccer player, his actions would definitely line up with that. So tonight, this is the first night of our five-week series on the I Am statements of Jesus. So as I said, in the book of John, there's seven unique statements that Jesus made about himself, all emphasizing a different part of, of who Jesus is. So we see in the, throughout the Gospel of John that he said he's the bread of life. He said he is the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the true vine. Each of these statements make a unique claim about Jesus. And as we saw in the, in the video, this points back to what God said to Moses in, in Exodus 3, that Moses has this encounter with this almighty God, and God appears to him and says, I am that I am. And so when Jesus is saying these, when it, what, saying these different statements, it's making a claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we're going to be going over that um, in these next couple weeks. And, and I just love that, that these statements say that Jesus is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. His words line up with his actions and his character. And some of these might sound a little odd and, you know, peculiar because Jesus is saying he's the door, you know. And, but that's uh, because Jesus often talked using figurative language. He talked in parables and used, like, common stories, uh, common objects so that people could actually understand the message that he was trying to get across. And in John 6, I believe that the message that Jesus was trying to get across to the crowds was that he is more than enough, right? Jesus is more than enough. So tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus is the bread of life. 
He is more than enough. And all throughout the Gospel of John, what we see is just miracles happening left and right. And Jesus will use whatever he wants to get his message across, right? Whether that's a healing, whether that's a miracle or a, a, a teaching, Jesus will use whatever he wants. And as I was reading this passage in John 6, I thought it was really interesting that Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I mean, I love bread, but I'm like, Jesus, why are you saying that you're the bread of life? Um, and it wasn't until I did some, like, digging into bread in Jesus' time. That was a really weird Google search. You know, like, okay, bread in Jesus' time and its significance. But this is, it's really interesting, and, and it helped me understand why Jesus said this. And so, are uh, you guys ready for some bread facts? Yes. Okay, here we go. Bread. Bread was the most important part of the meal in Jesus' time, right? You know, like how when we go to uh, a restaurant, we focus on the entree. You know, like, give me that steak. I want, like, a nice hearty steak. And then, you know, the bread is kind of like the secondary meal. Unless you go to Olive Garden, then the bread is just prime. But in Jesus' day, meat was actually the side dish, and the bread was the main portion of the meal, Right? Isn't that so cool? Because when Jesus says that he's the bread of life, what he's saying is that he's the most important part of life. You know, like the meat's the side dish. The bread, that's the, that's the main deal. You know, that's the real deal. Jesus is saying he's the most important part of life. Another fact, everyone had access to bread in Jesus' time. Whether you were poor, you would use barley to make bread, or you were rich, you would use wheat. But everyone had ac access to make or to buy bread. And by Jesus using this metaphor, he's saying that he is available to everyone, that Jesus is, the, is uh, the most important part of life, and that he's available to everyone. My last fact, bread symbolizes God's presence. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, literally means house of bread. Isn't that cool, right? I, I learned that in Christmas time. I'm like, hmm, that's really interesting, where Jesus was born. Anywho, and the temple, the temple we see in the Old Testament was continually filled with this showbread, this, this bread, the showbread that can be interpreted to, as show-up bread, or in the Hebrew term, it means face bread. And so bread was a, hem, a heavenly symbol of God himself, and it was a reminder to his people that every time they saw bread, they would think of God, right? That's so awesome, and this was a little, little fun fact that, like, if a person would see a little scrap of bread on the road, they would pick it up and put it on a tree branch uh, for the birds to eat because they didn't want bread to be trampled in the common dust because it carried this sense of, of, of mystery, of sacredness, right? So I thought that was just so interesting. And who knew that bread was so special in Jesus' time? I mean, in our time, too, because your girl loves some bread. Any type of bread, I love it. So tonight we're going to talk about that, about how Jesus is the bread of life. But, but first, I want to talk about what happened before Jesus said this, right? We see in John 6 that Jesus used baskets, a boat, and bread. Boom, I made that. Baskets, a boat, and bread to demonstrate that he's more than enough, right? Say that to your neighbor. He's more than enough. Say that to your other neighbor. He's more than enough. Yes. It's good. He's more than enough. So let's start. Let's kick it. It starts with the baskets. The first miracle we see in John 6 is the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. All right. So this is after Jesus heals the sick. He heals this huge crowd. And 
this crowd who just got healed, they followed Jesus. And he and his disciples went up to this mountain, and they see this whole crowd of people. And they're kind of putting two and two together. They said there's a whole crowd of people. Scripture says 5,000 people. People need to eat, and in order to eat, you need food. Where are we going to get all this food to, to feed these people? And this is what Jesus asked Philip in the scriptures. He says, he asked this, he asked this to Philip only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus knew the, the solution to the problem. Jesus knows what we need, Right? In whatever situation you might find yourself in, Jesus knows your need in detail. You know, and the, with the crowd, he knew how many people were there. And it doesn't matter how big the situation is, how small it is, nothing's too big or small for Jesus. He, know, he sees you, and he knows your need in detail. And so this story continues with Peter. Peter finds a boy. The boy has five, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Peter basically stole this little boy's lunch. But that's okay. We won't talk about that. We won't talk about that. So we have five loaves and two fishes. And we have 5,000 people. How far is that going to go? Jesus knew, though. Jesus knew how far it would go. So he had everyone sit down. And after Jesus gave thanks for the bread, he just began to distribute it. Had the disciples distribute it. And scripture says everyone had as much as they wanted. 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish, everyone had as much as they wanted. And then when it was all said and done, they had 12 baskets left over. One for each of the disciples. One for each of the disciples. And I believe that what Jesus wants us to, to learn from this miracle is that we can trust that Jesus knows our need. Right? We can trust that Jesus knows our need. He sees our need. He knows it in detail. And he will provide for you. Tell that to your neighbor. He will provide for you. Mm, that's good stuff. So that's right. When he, we come to Jesus, when we come to Jesus and we believe in him, right, when we come to Jesus and we believe in him, there will always be enough. There is a basket waiting for you. He knows what you need tonight. He knows what you need tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. And there's a basket waiting for you every single day because he knows our need. Amen. All right, so after this, we see that the disciples, they enter a boat. Yes, there's the boat. And we, they, uh, they go across the lake. And so Jesus stayed behind, and the disciples, they go across the, the lake on a boat. And it was dark, and the winds began to pick up, and the storm rolled in. And the disciples were about three miles away from the shore, Scripture says, and they saw that Jesus was walking towards them. In the midst of their fear and the storm raging on, you know, all around them, Jesus tells them, it is I, don't be afraid. And Jesus enters the boat, and the next thing they know, they arrived at their destination. So Jesus used baskets to show his disciples that we can trust, that he knows what our need is. And I believe that Jesus is using this boat to show us that we can trust that Jesus will show up. We can trust that Jesus will show up. And it's important to know, I thought this was interesting as I was reading through this passage, that it doesn't say that the winds died down and the storm stopped when Jesus entered the boat. But it just said that he entered the boat and he got to their destination. And as I was thinking about this, just felt God speaking to me that, you know, following Jesus doesn't mean that things will get easy and your problems will cease. Right? When I first came to Jesus, I thought that that would happen. You know, my life is going to be great and it's going to be rainbows and butterflies and it's great. And, um... 
But following Jesus doesn't mean that, but it just does mean we get Jesus. That following Jesus doesn't mean it's easy, but it means we get Jesus. And we can trust that he will show up. We can trust that he knows our need. And what do we get when Jesus shows up? We get joy. We get life. We get peace and contentment, satisfaction. And when everything else fails, Jesus is a constant in our storm. When everything seems impossible or waves are crashing against our boats, Jesus is, and it seems like just Jesus is three miles away, that's not the end of the story. And I think the point, of, the point of this part in the story is less about getting the storm to stop and more about Jesus getting in the boat. It's less about stopping the storm and more about getting Jesus in the boat. So we each have our boats, right? Our issues in life, we have our problems, but we can trust that Jesus will show up in whatever situation we might find ourselves in. In this semester, there might be boats. There will be boats. Let's be real. There will be boats. Our issues, our, our problems, situations that we go through in life. Maybe you came back from Christmas break and you're currently just in the boat of anxiety and depression. Maybe you're in the boat of family drama after just dealing with all of these family dynamics over break. Or maybe you're just in the boat of dread as you look ahead to the semester and you're just really not sure how you're going to handle all of it. Let Jesus in your boat. Just as he said to the disciples, it is I, don't be afraid. In whatever situation that you might find yourself in, whatever boat you might find yourself in, Jesus is saying, it is I, don't be afraid. Because he's going to show up. And we can trust that he will show up. So in order to show that his disciples he's more than enough, Jesus stews baskets, boats, and lastly, bread. Mm, love me some bread. All right, once the crowds realized that Jesus was no longer with them, uh, they went and searched for them because they were hungry and they wanted fed. They wanted their stomachs full. They were probably thinking to themselves, hey, Jesus fed me once. Remember that time, 5,000? They only had a little bit of like loaves and fish. Maybe they'll feed them again. I mean, hey, Mo I mean, God fed Moses and the whole Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness. Three million people. Yeah, Jesus can feed us again. Let's go find Jesus. Let's get this bread, right? I snuck that in there. I was really hyped. I really wanted to use that phrase. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Anywho, but let's be honest, that this crowd that was searching for Jesus, they wanted their physical needs met, but their priorities were misplaced, right? They wanted this physical satisfaction, but Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the issue, right? It's not about Jesus just meeting our physical needs. He can do that, but he wants to meet our physical or our, our spiritual need because he satisfies. Jesus alone satisfies our spiritual need. Yeah, it's good. So Jesus stops them in their tracks, right? Jesus stops them in their tracks and he blows away their plans for a breakfast buffet because this is what he says, John 6, 26 and 27. Here, it's up on the screen. You can read along. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give, give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And I think we can be very similar to the crowds that Jesus is talking to, right? Because they think that they needed to do something, they needed to work in order to earn God's favor, but Jesus says this, he responds in verse 29, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him 
whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So if you insist on working, this is your job description. Believe in the one whom he has sent. Believe in Jesus. That's our job description. Yet the crowd had the nerve to ask for another sign instead of just simply believing, which was Jesus says. And we do the same, right? That, that we continually ask God uh, to do something for us while forgetting what he's already done. Right? It, it, our needs were met yesterday, but we want to know what Jesus will do for us today. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is our provider. He wants, he's a good father. He wants to provide those things for us. And, but we see that the crowd wanted to challenge Jesus. They were essentially asking him to prove himself. Are you who you really say you are? Can you do really what you say you can do? Do your words line up with your actions? See, Moses, he provided bread for over 3 million people uh, for 40 years in the the wilderness with the Israelites. Jesus, you only gave us bread once. You know, the bread that came from Moses came from God. Jesus, you just used earthly bread and multiplied it. But Jesus turned their challenge right on their heads by telling them that it was not Moses who provided the bread, but it was God the Father. And this is what Jesus says in verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Physical bread only solves physical hunger, but the bread of God brings life. Jesus uses this pronoun he in this, yep, and he, to point to himself that he is the bread of life that has come to give us life. And this got the crowd interested, and this is what it, they, continue, they, they said in verse 34. It says, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's so good. Let's go for seconds. Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Yeah, go ahead. You can clap. Yeah. And Ravi Zacharias, who's an apologist and an author, one of my favorite um, apologists, and uh, he defends the Christian faith. And he points this out in this passage that Jesus, he intended to lift the listeners from their barren, food-dominated existence to the recognition of the supreme hunger of life that could only be filled by different bread. I'm going to read that again because I really want you to get it. Jesus intended to lift the listeners, the crowd that he was talking to, from their barren, food-dominated existence to the recognition of the supreme hunger of life that could only be filled by different bread. There is so much more for us in this life than just a barren existence. There is just hunger on the inside of each and every one of us that can only be filled by different bread, and Jesus is that different bread. Bread is essential for life. And I love how Jesus uses this bread because it's such a common thing that everyone could relate to in Jesus' time and in our time too. Uh, And I thought it was interesting. You know, he could have said anything. You know, like what if Jesus said he was the filet mignon of life, you know, or he was the sushi of life or the chocolate chip cookie of life. But, you know, that's not what Jesus said here because those things are only enjoyed once in a while, right? Unless it's a cookie and it's Caitlin, then I eat it more than once in a while. But bread, 
is something that's eaten on a daily basis and often throughout the day, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And in and, and Jesus' time, it was the main course. And, and I believe that as we uh, continue to trust Jesus, we can trust that he's more than enough. You know, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm essential for life. I came to give you life and life in abundance. He's not the chocolate chip cookie of life, man, but he is the bread of life, that constant. And I think many times we try and, like, overcomplicate coming to Jesus. But just to be clear, like, we don't have to clean ourselves before coming to him. You know, like, it doesn't matter uh, what you did in the past, what you did last year, what you did last semester, even last week, even earlier this morning. We can come to Jesus just as we are. Because life and joy is found in Jesus, the bread of life. Without Jesus, we just have an existence. But with Jesus, we have life. Without Jesus, we have existence. But with him, we have life. And just as the bread sustains us, fills us up, and satisfies our hunger, Jesus sustains us, fills us up, and satisfies our hunger the deepest part of our beings that just cry out for something more, like there has to be something more, Jesus is that fulfillment of that, that he's that satisfaction, that contentment. He's more than enough. He satisfies that deep longing that we feel in our heart. And not only is Jesus more than enough, but he's also the source. And, and I think this is where Jesus was getting at when he says that, he, that when we come to him, we will never go hungry and we will never thirsty. That he's that source of satisfaction. And I think a lot of times we try and go to other, like any other source imaginable before making our way to Jesus. Right? For me, it was I would look to people for approval, or I would look for boys for love, or I would look for education to make me feel better about myself. But those things just left me empty because they're substitutes. It's not the real deal. Right? Jesus is the bread of life. He is that, the most important part. So if you're looking for uh, joy, it's found in Jesus. If you're looking for real peace, it's found in Jesus. If you're looking for real contentment, real satisfaction, it's found in no other place and no other person than in Jesus. He's the source of everything that our heart desires. And so this semester, it doesn't have to look like previous semesters. It doesn't have to be your typical semester, right? This semester, I believe Jesus wants to show you that you can trust that he knows your need. We can trust that he will show up, and we can trust that he is more than enough. And as we read earlier, all you have to do is come and believe in Jesus. That's our job description, is to just believe in Jesus. Jesus wants you to allow him to come into your boat, to bring you true life, true joy, true peace, true contentment that can only come through him. And maybe you're here and you don't think that Jesus is any of these things. I am so thankful that you're here because you're in the right place. Or maybe you're wondering how you can grow to trust in Jesus. You're in the right place too. And, and I want to encourage all of us here that, you know, Jesus is for you, that his words line up with his actions. He's not going to say something and then not do it. He's not like people who fail, like we, we fail, right? We're human. 
And I want to challenge you, all of us here, to get connected into a life group where we can ask these hard questions, where we can be real and say, you know, I really don't believe that Jesus is these things. I really don't trust that Jesus can, you know, can satisfy or can actually show up in his life. Why would Jesus want to do that? I want to encourage us to get connected into a life group where you can ask the hard questions and join a community of people who are just going to draw you closer to your true purpose, your true joy and true life, which is found in Jesus. And as a supplement for this series, for the next 21 days, we are going to start the 21-day reading challenge where we read a chapter of John um, every day. There's 21 chapters in John, and we're going to read it every day. And so maybe this might look like you uh, get together with some people in your life group and you read it together in the mornings. Or it might look like you read it before you go to bed. Maybe you have a little bit of time, you know, before you go to work in the mornings and you read it then. But I want to encourage us all to do this. And uh, if you are like me and you need, like, some reminders, every day we'll post it on our Instagram, the, the chapter of the day. This way we can all grow together and trusting that Jesus meets our needs, right? He is our source. He is more than enough. We can trust that he will meet our needs. We can trust that he will show up, and we can trust that he is more than enough. And so to close, what I want to do is we're going to break up into life groups, okay? I'll pray first, but I'll explain. We're going to break up into life groups. There'll be some questions up on the screen. And if you don't have a life group, uh, after I pray, I want the life group leaders to raise your hand. And please find a life group leaders, girls with girls, uh, boys with boys, and then we will uh, get you connected into a life group where we can talk about these things. All right. So I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, I'll have the life group leader stand, stand up, and then we can get you situated. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much just for who you are. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness, your love, your grace that you just pour out on us, God. God, I thank you for sending your son, that who is the bread of life. Father, I pray that this semester we will begin to understand just a, deeper, uh, a, just a deeper sense of your love for us, God, that we would know, God, where, where we can go to, that we can go to you for true joy, true peace, true contentment, God. God, that we wouldn't settle for the substitutes of life, God, that try and beckon us to them, God, but that we would go to you. For it's in you, God, that we have life and that we have joy. So, God, I just pray that this semester would be different for all of us, God. God, that you would take us uh, deeper with you, God, and, and just a deeper relationship. And, God, that we would just be able to find community where we can ask the hard questions, God. That we can see, we can take you at your word, God, and see that you are who you say you are, and you can do what you say you can do, God. I pray, God, for every person in this room. Would you strengthen them, God? Would you uh, give them wisdom for their classes, God, and that um, they would just have this endurance throughout the rest of the semester, God? We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone says amen. All right, so if you are a life group leader, could you please stand up and raise your hand? And then, all right, and then if you guys want to get into your life groups, we're going to be getting into your life groups. And then if you guys do not have a life group, please, please, please get connected. Get connected into a life group. There you go.